from producer J.J. Abrams. He's been an attack, and everyone outside of here is dead. Critics are calling 10 Cloverfield Lane taut and entertaining as hell. How do you know that this is real? Rolling Stone raves. It's loaded with everything a psychological thriller needs to shatter your nerves. No, I'm out here! And then kicks it up a notch. Now with an incredible score on Rotten Tomatoes. You don't know what's out there! 10 Cloverfield Lane, directed by Dan Trachtenberg. Rated PG-13. It'd be inappropriate for children under 13 in theaters and IMAX tonight. Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in the school if we got good grades. I straight up A's. The parents would take us to a 76 game. I got my game and there ain't no shame. Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone. Julius Thurber called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze. Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly. But if you want to make it on time to the show, there's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Want to get downtown but feeling in the fix. Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of business. They've ever made a palace, they ain't famous, but they got the game. Welcome to the 76ers Report with your hosts, Jeff McMiniman and Michael Kasky blomaine Hey guys, what's going on? Uh, we're back with another episode of the 76ers Report. Jeff here alongside Mike, and uh, it's been a sad state of affairs, to say the least, uh, recently for our Sixers, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, as always, you can follow us on the app Stitcher, and make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. And, you know, Mike, how's it going? March Madness season is upon us here. Probably much more exciting basketball to watch at this point than we can say about our Sixers. Uh, are there any teams you, you know, have an allegiance to that you're hoping to see make the cut this Sunday? Yeah, Jeff, I got to uh, I gotta stick with my alma mater, the, uh, the Pitt Panthers, who uh you know, playing in the ACC, uh, you know, hoping that they, they've been kind of on the bubble all season. But, uh, you know, with some strong performance in the, the uh, ACC tourney, I'm hoping they uh, they pull it out and get a bid. Yeah, you know, I saw, you know, my girlfriend went to Pitt, so obviously I have somewhat of an allegiance there. But, um, you know, I saw them pull, pull out that victory over Syracuse for the third time this year. They dropped a close one, I guess not that close, to UNC today. But, you know, I think they've done enough to get in. I think they have some, some good wins against Duke and UConn. And, um, you know, we'll we'll see what happens there. I, I think that they should rest somewhat easily um, knowing that they beat Syracuse. I feel like that was almost a play-in game for there in, uh, you know, the, the first round of the ACC tournament. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, Temple is my team, Temple all the way you know, graduate from there. And uh, this is always just one of my favorite times of the year. You know, the selection committee snubbed us last year. So hopefully they, you know, make the right decision this year. Uh, there's still a little bit, bit of work to do there, you know, in the American Conference Tournament. But, uh, you know, I think as long as they win tomorrow's game against USF, they're in. And uh, obviously I'll root for any other Philly team that's left, you know. I uh, got to cover St. Joe's on a few occasions this year and, Got to see Nova play. So, you know, all great seasons from these three. 
And, uh, you know, it'll be cool to see, you know, any or all of them uh, to be in the big dance. Uh, but let's get back to the Sixers here. Uh, you know, 13 straight losses, uh, haven't won since the All-Star break, uh, which is just amazing. You know, no timetable for Jalil Okafor's return to the court. Um, you know, I, I've counted five, maybe semi-winnable games remaining here against the Nets uh, twice the Nuggets, the Knicks, and the Bucks. Uh, Mike, is it possible this team could lose out here to end the season? You know, have, have times reached this low? Could we be watching the worst NBA team ever to step on a basketball court? <laughs> you know, Jeff, I hate to say it, but, I mean, I, I think it's gotten close to that point. Um, you know, there was a while when we first got Ish back right around uh, um, December when the team, you know, kind of turned it around, they looked like they started playing better ball. Um, they had one win at the time when they acquired Ish, and um, it kind of went off and, you know, were able to stack up a few and get to the eight that they have been sitting on now for uh, over a month. And, uh, you know, the way they've just been playing recently really gives you no, uh, really no reason to think that they can win, uh, you know, multiple games throughout the remainder of the schedule. Um, as you mentioned, there's, you really have to hope if you know to avoid the setting the either setting or tying the uh, the record for the the worst all single season mark in history. You have to um, you have to think they'd have to pull out one of these upcoming games on the 11th or the 15th against the Nets, and then uh, you know as you mentioned it, there's Denver and uh, the Pelicans and the Knicks and the Bucks um, basically down in April. Other than that, basically every game that you're you're seeing playoff teams. Um, Night in, night out. Oklahoma City, uh, the Hornets, who have been playing great basketball, or twice, uh, you know, at Golden State, at Portland, Indiana, Boston. You know, you're seeing a lot of teams that uh, are, quite frankly, playing much better basketball than the Sixers. So, you know, it's definitely at that point where you can start to really question when and if, you know, this team is going to win uh, another or two more games this season to avoid that the distinction of being the worst of all time. Uh, you know, I think the team's pretty much secured the fact that they're going to have the most, uh, you know, the most ping pong balls going in into the lottery. So, I, you know, I think most people on the fan base don't want to see, um, you know, personally, at least I, I don't want to see them set the record for the worst team of all time. I don't think that's a, you know, a great thing for some of these younger players to have on their, you know, on their resumes going forward, a guy like, um, you know, Julio Okafor, who was so accustomed yeah. to winning before he, before he came to the Sixers to, uh, you know, to in his first season in the NBA, be part of the worst team for all time. Uh, you know, not that I, not that it would be devastating to these players if they couldn't recover, but I definitely think, uh, you know, mentally for their, you know, going forward for young players, it might not be the best, uh, you know, the best thing for them going forward. So you got to hope that, you know, they pull out at least two more of these to get themselves over that, uh, you know, nine, nine would tie 10 gets them over the mark. But, uh, you know, with it's coming down to the end of the season here, you can see, um, you know, the, all, how the season is going to finish out, and you just have to hope, uh, you know, they pull a couple of them out. Yes, if they lost out, that would be 31 straight losses. <laughs> uh, they have 18 more to go here. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I honestly don't see them losing out. It would be extremely disappointing if that did happen. Uh, I think as bad as they are, I think they'll get, you know, maybe two more wins here at the end. Uh, it's, you know, it's very strange to see a team in rebuilding mode uh, kind of take steps backwards uh, in wins like the Sixers have, 
you know, 19 wins in year one under Sam Hinkie, 18 wins in year two, and maybe they'll get to 11 wins here in year three. Um, you know, that just doesn't really happen in the NBA. Obviously, luck hasn't been on the Sixers' side on, on several occasions, uh, but does that, you know, mean anything to you in the grand scheme of things, just, you know, taking steps back in the win column instead of forwards? Yeah, I mean, I think it has to to an extent. You know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, even people that were fully on board with the rebuild uh, initially when when Hanky took over, as I think both you and I were, uh, you know, I think they probably expected to see, uh, you know, a little bit more tangible progress, at least, uh, you know, after three full seasons of the rebuild. Um, I don't think necessarily the fact that they're, they haven't won quite as many games as last year is a problem, but the fact that they really don't seem to be any further along than they were a year ago. And, you know, it's basically the same conversation, uh, you know, looking forward ahead to the draft and if Joel Embiid <laughs> is going to come back, you know, really other than the addition of Okafor, who who honestly might've just added more questions than provided solutions. That he's been selected. There, it seems like, you know, it just seems like the team hasn't progressed, which is kind of concerning. And it, it still seems like there's not, uh, you know, a clear, core that the team has at least in place that they're going to build around going forward. Uh, you know, like some of the other young teams that are also stuck in rebuilding mode, I think, uh, you know, like take Minnesota or the Lakers, for example. Uh, you know, when you look at those two teams, you're like, all right, well, Minnesota is going to build around Towns and Wiggins and Levine. Uh, the Lakers are going to build around, you know, Russell, Randall, Clarkson. The Sixers, you know, obviously that we have Embiid, Nerlens, and Joel, but I think everyone knows that it's not going to be all three of those guys going forward. No one knows exactly how Embiid's going to pan out. But, you know, there's just there's more questions than answers at this time with the Sixers, and I think that's more the most frustrating part about where they are right now, uh, considering that this is, like you said, the, the third year, you know, almost coming up now in the, the end of the third full year of a rebuild, and there's just not – you know, there's not a lot to show for it. Uh, you know, that can certainly change in a, a couple months if, you know, the, the ping pong balls bounce the Sixers way uh, this May. Um, you know, then things could certainly change. You know, if they get a little bit lucky, uh, they get some interest in free agency. The team could certainly turn around very quickly. They have the cap space to. But, uh, you know, at this point in the season where there's just not much else to look forward to as far as the regular season is concerned, it, it's definitely uh, – a little bit alarming, I would say that just the uh, you know the lack of overall progress since uh, since day one. Yeah, and you know obviously one of the big reasons behind the team's recent skid, uh, you know the absence of Jalil Okafor, who has missed the team's last five games with what was originally diagnosed as a shin injury. Now um, you're hearing you know right knee soreness. Uh, Brett Brown didn't really seem too optimistic about the injury when talking to reporters about it the other day. Uh, you know, it seems like he'll miss another couple of weeks of games, uh, if not, you know, the rest of the season, by the way Brown talked about it. Mike, you know, it, it's an odd question to pose just because there's still so much season left, you know, 18 games. But could this be, you know, the end of Jill Okafor as a, a member of the Sixers? You know, it, it definitely sounds crazy, but I think it's an absolute possibility. Uh, I, I definitely think it's a possibility, possibility that it's the last that we've seen him this season. Um, you know, at this point, originally when the injury came out, uh, as you said, as a, um, well, a, shin and, a shin and contusion, you know, you figured he'd miss a game or two. Um, 
but, you know, it stretched on five, six games. They had a CT scan. And now, you know, as you mentioned, Brown, you know, Brett Brown just didn't seem overly optimistic about his return. And, you know, he definitely basically said everything is on the table. And, you know, in the answer to a question about Jalil potentially missing the rest of the season. And, you know, given the team's recent track record of injuries and their big men, you know, and not rushing them back into action, obviously, you know, Joel missed two seasons, Noel a full season. You know, and considering that this this is basically a lost season on the court, there's really nothing nothing to play for at this point. There's really no benefit in rushing him back, bringing him back. He's you know, uh, individual accolades aren't in in play here. You know, he's basically out of the rookie of the year race, which I think uh, you know, Carl Anthony Towns is probably going to win that pretty uh, you know pretty hands down. So I mean. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're the Sixers front office in regards to this season, I just think they look at it. You know, what's the point in bringing him back? You know, what are they rushing him back for? And uh, you know, he's as far as ever again. Like you know, that's a question I think you really have to consider. Uh, you know, with, with just a bunch of little factors. You know, you're hearing a lot of positive things coming out of the organization about Joel Embiid recently. Um, you know, they're. He's been obviously like same as he was last year. He's become more visible recently. He's out warming up before games. Uh, you know, they're Hinky and Brett Brown are commenting on his progress, and you know they're in a very positive manner. Uh, you know that combined with some of the reports that the team was potentially willing to shop him around the All Star deadline and just the general fit going forward. You know, I think there's a lot of factors that we, you know, everyone in you know Sixers Twitter and whatnot has discussed throughout the year. Uh, you know, in, in the Netherlands versus Jalil arguments, they're like, well, you know, which one's the bad man out? And, uh, you know, there's definitely a chance that, that that's also part of it. If, uh, you know, he basically has showcased what he is at this point in his career, there's really nothing to be gained. His, his stock's not going to go up anymore uh, by him playing the rest of the season, you know, with, with the Sixers as they are now. There's nothing he's going to do that's going to you know, really raise his value on the market in the eyes of anybody else in the remaining 20 or so games. So, you know, mm. if they he had a, a pretty pretty solid rookie season at this point. And if they are looking to move him, you know, they he is what he is. He will be healthy. You know, there's no reason to rush him back. And then, uh, you know, they'll go from there. But, it, you know, that's definitely something that will be talked about a whole lot in the off season leading up to the draft. Um, and will be also talked about a lot as uh, Joel Embiid's return gets closer and closer, um, you know, as, as the fit with all three of those guys just doesn't seem to be there. But uh, yeah, what do you what do you make of this latest injury? You know, personally, I, th- I thought it was going to be, I thought he would have been back by now. But as the longer and longer that it stretches on, and now that they're saying he might be out for the season, it's just, uh, you know, I tweeted about it earlier. Like I don't have any information on the matter, but there's just something, you know, something feels a little bit strange about the fact that he's, you know, just missing this extended time for what was at first a, you know, a shin injury and is now just, you know, knee soreness. It's you know a pretty vague term. Uh, you know, there's a, it's just something, something seems a little strange about it. So, you know, if I had to bet, I would, I would bet, yes, he'll, he'll be back. If not this season, you know, I don't think we've necessarily seen the last of him as a sixer, but, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked basically. Um, what, what about you? Anytime I see knee soreness linked to a, a player on the Sixers, uh, I always cringe a little bit thinking back to the days of Andrew Bynum, but, um, yeah, I, I thought it was a little strange uh, the way Brett Brown said, you know, he was running on the treadmill and, and something didn't seem right there in his knee. You know, you you never want to hear that sort of thing, especially with a big man. 
um, that's, you know, nothing good's going to come out of it. And, yeah, I just think it's a little strange. Like, if it was a knee injury to begin with, why wouldn't they, you know, say it was a knee injury? Why would they say, you know, it was a shin if one indeed now he's having this right knee soreness? So I, I don't really know what's going on there. Like, I I don't think anyone, even like the closest beat reporters to the team, know what's going on half the time uh, behind closed doors. So um, do I expect uh, Okafor to be back this year? Yes. Do I expect that maybe he'll miss, you know, two or three weeks, I think that's a very real possibility in the way they've just been talking about things. In terms of him being traded down the line, um, you know, I think that we've kind of differed on our opinion at times on Jalil this year. Um, I, I think his flaws are just kind of too hard to notice on the basketball court between his lack of defense, um, his low rebounding numbers, his, you know, limited athletic ability, uh, his desire to play hard at times, and, you know, obviously some of the off-the-court off issues as well. Um, and, you know, on Twitter the other day, just for strictly comparison's sake, uh, they're not really the same type of player. They don't play the same position as of now. But, uh, you know, I, I compared Okafor's season of having, you know, 11 double-doubles this year to Julius Randle's 28 double-doubles Um you know, where Randall is pretty much a rookie in his own right. It's only played one game last season for the Lakers, uh, had to miss the whole season with a, a fractured leg. Um, and obviously they're both playing on awful teams, but it seems like, you know, Randall's energy is just, you know, that much better on the basketball court, especially for being a guy, you know, two inches shorter, five-inch shorter wingspan. You know, is it alarming at all to you that Okafor just really hasn't shown that side of his game on a more consistent basis. Yeah, I, I do think it's it's slightly alarming. Um, you, you mentioned it's kind of it's like a matter of inconsistency. Uh, you know, there's times where you can tell Jalil is really trying on the defensive end, or you know, or on the glass. Early in the season, he was catching a lot of slack for uh, you know not putting up rebounding numbers after the first uh, you know couple weeks. And uh, you could see, uh, you know, like an immediate improvement. And he was out there trying to get get rebounds, and his, his total went up, and it was evident. And the same thing happens on the defensive end. But, you know, the problem is it's, it's noticeable, you know, for a, a player that's good on the defensive end, that's just a consistent effort. And, it's you know, it becomes more noticeable if they're not playing good defense. Um, with Okafor, it's, like, as you mentioned, it's a matter of, on and off, um, you know, when it, when it comes to the defensive end and just the, the desire, which is, you know, as you said, they're not necessarily the same type of player. So it's not, not necessarily a straightforward comparison, but in, in terms of just motor, Julius Randle's the guy that you see, you know, just playing with a lot of energy, almost kind of like a Draymond green. He just brings a, you know, an extra, an extra level to the game that, uh, you know, I just, we haven't seen from Okafor yet. Um, you know, at the same time, it's definitely a little bit difficult to judge any such thing in a one year, but also b with the you know the team situation that's around him. If there was, uh, you know, a more structured team in place and a team that was in a slightly different situation than the Sixers, who were basically just you know in an all-out free fall, um, you know, his attitude might have been different. It, it might be it might have been slightly hard for him to motivate himself to you know, every, and be consistently motivated throughout games when, you know, the team is losing by 30, if it was a, 
you know, a more competitive team and the team is more so competing to get to the playoffs, I, I would be interested to see how we react in that manner. But, uh, yeah, there's certainly a lot of, um, you know, concerns about him going forward and definitely a lot of, you know, I would say like holes at this point in his game that, uh, you know, would need to work on. I think we've talked about here, you know, one of my biggest concerns with him is just straightforward fit, uh, you know, going forward. And he's, you know, how he's the type of player that you would really need to tailor a team around. And, you know, in the this landscape of today's NBA, it's, just, it's not necessarily, you know, it's tough to tell if it's smart to tailor a team around a player like that. He seems to be, you know, kind of, limited in the offensive ability and not, you know, just not in the direction that the league is headed necessarily kind of away from the traditional big man that, uh, you know, the type of style that Okafor plays. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of questions about him going forward. And I think that will kind of only fuel um, speculation about his future with the franchise. Once again, this is the 76ers report. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Caffey Blumin. And yeah, like, like you were saying, obviously Okafor's future has been one of, if not the biggest topic for Sixers fans to discuss this season. And, um, you know, everyone's kind of put his name into that ESPN trade machine uh, throughout the season this year. What haul do you see Okafor getting in a trade? And, you know, what teams have you thought of as possible destinations for him to, to land if one were to go through? You know, I honestly haven't thought that far ahead as far as, you know, actual destinations for him. You know, as far as the return, I remember uh, right around the trade deadline, there was the, um, you know, a couple of reports that came out regarding, uh, you know, potential destinations for Okafor. One of them was Boston um, as a team that was interested. And they would, I forget the details of the trade, but I think he netted a lottery pick uh, back from, from Boston. And, you know, for a guy that is still 19 years old, 20 years old, um, the third pick in the draft, you know, less than a year ago and still, you know, super talented, I, I certainly think that the Sixers would have to, um, you know, ask for and not move him unless there was definitely, you know, a very sizable, uh, you know, something in return. It's 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 tough to put a, an exact tag on him. I, I would imagine it would vary by, um, you know, what team, how much other teams value him. But in return, you know, you would think if not an established veteran, which is, you know, pretty hard to come by in uh, trades these days, you would have to think he would net – um, you know, at least a, a high first round pick and maybe, you know, an additional pick, um, a later round pick thrown in there as well. But, uh, you know, there's has to be suitors. I'm sure there's, a, you know, a plethora of suitors out there for a guy like Okafor. I, I don't think if it does come down to that the Sixers need to move him, I don't think Hinky will, you know, have a, a hard time finding, um, you know, people to listen and probably take him up on the offers. But, uh, you know, do you have, do you, uh, do you get any further than I didn't think about any potential landing spots for uh, Jalil? Well, you know, you got to start with teams that obviously are looking for one of those kind of scoring centers. Talked about Boston, uh, trying to get Okafor at the deadline there. You know, I, I thought Portland all along was one of those destinations. You know, they're kind of struggling, you know, in the post without Aldridge there. And, uh, you know, Okafor has even drawn some comparisons to, like, a, you know, young LaMarcus Aldridge, obviously not a, as good of a defender or, you know, shooter at this point in his career, but 
Um, you know, I, I could see the fit there. I could see, you know, the Lakers possibly doing a deal there. I, I think at this point, D'Angelo Russell, unfortunately, is not available from them the way he's been playing lately. Um, but, you know, I, I could see Jordan Clarkson maybe being a guy that they would attach to a trade, maybe with a, a future first-rounder or something. Um, but, yeah, I mean, any team right now that's looking for a quality young center, I mean, there's no reason not to look at Jalil Okafor as a possible future building block for your team. That That's just not the way the Sixers are kind of set up right now. And, um, unfortunately, for Okafor, it does seem like he's the odd man out, you know, um, when uh, you were ta- talking to Tops Melas on, on the last show, um, you know, he was the guy that, that Tops even picked. Just he didn't really see the long-term fit in uh, Philadelphia for Okafor. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think he would draw just what you were talking about, you know, maybe a, a lottery pick with another young piece of the core attached to it. And, um, you know, I, I can't name all the suitors off, off the top of my head, but, I'm sure that there's a lot of teams that are making calls about him and, you know, kind of seeing his availability now um, before the season ends here for the Sixers. But, you know, the the other side of that is the reason why he's so expendable is, you know, the, the future of Joel Embiid with the team. And, you know, Philly Mags, Derek Bodner uh, kind of opened up the entire country's eyes uh, to just how impressive Embiid is looking these days with, uh, you know, a nice 10-minute-long video of him working out. Uh, Mike, did you get a chance to watch that video? Yeah, yeah, I saw, I saw it. And, uh, you know, it's definitely definitely impressive for, uh, and, you know, gives Sixers fans a little something to feel better about considering the, uh, you know, the results of the on-call results so far this season. I mean, just watching that video, it just seemed like his shot was so fluid you know inside of the three-point range he might have missed like two or three shots the you know out of like 25 or 30 something like that on the blocks you know he was displaying some nice post moves some strong athletic takes to the hole you know that left-handed hook um, looked almost unstoppable you know he's making every single one and aside from you know trying to avoid another injury catastrophe is there any way, you know, watching this guy work out, um, you know, the the clips you've seen, is there any way you can sit this guy on the bench if he's healthy, you know, unless you're just trying to limit his minutes to avoid injury? Is there any way you can sit this guy? No, uh, absolutely not. I mean, like you said, the only injuries at this point, I'm convinced, uh, I think anyone that's at least seen enough of Joel at this point, injuries are really the only thing that can stop, you know, stop Joel. Uh, everyone has their fingers crossed, obviously, that he'll be uh, healthy and good to go moving forward because, uh, you know, he just, he does look special and, uh, it could come to be, you know, hopefully, obviously, uh, optimistically that taking, having these two seasons off was a good thing for him. Uh, you know, he just looks physically better than he did two years ago. He looks like he's in better shape. He looks bigger. He looks stronger. And, uh, you know, as, as you alluded to, his shot just looks better. Like, he he just looks like an excellent uh, shooter from basically anywhere inside the arc and even extending beyond it. Um, 
you know, and, and he's bas- basically, t- you know, he looks like a guy that could be a, the prototypical center in, you know, today's NBA, a guy that can, you know, protect, p- protect the paint, block shots and rebound on one end, and then, you know, get up the floor and just, uh, you know, facilitate an offense on the other end by, you know, not clogging up the paint, the guy that can stretch the floor, uh, you know, really score from anywhere. Uh, you know, it's, it's very promising. Um, you know, what we've seen out of him at, at warming up before games this year, um, and, and in that video you, you alluded to, uh, you know, it's definitely, you know, you just see almost, it, it reminds me almost in a way of uh, Carl Anthony Towns from the Timberwolves, the way that Embiid kind of projects, uh, probably a slightly better shooter, even with more range already, but, uh, you know, just just the way that Carl plays on both ends of the floor and uses his size and uh, you know skill set, uh, you know that that's very reminiscent uh, in what I see of Embiid. And uh, you know, if he's healthy going forward, then uh, as many people have said, he really does still have the chance to be, uh, you know, a, a real once in a you know generational type big guy prospect for the Sixers. And in that case, you know, a guy like Jaleel Okafor maybe becomes expendable. Um, but, but still, you know, I, I said this to Taz last week, I, I feel like, you know, you and me have joked about this too. I feel like basically, you know, every single conversation, you know, in, in, in favor of the Sixers since the draft night of 2014 has been, you know, with the disclaimer, the qualifier, well, if Joel Embiid is healthy, you know what I mean? Like yeah. this whole plan is, is, you know, it's probably been worth it. If Joel Embiid's healthy, this team can, you know, compete for a playoff spot and they could be a potential, you know, a, a really good squad for the next five to 10 years. If Joel Embiid is healthy, uh, and, you know, it's still, it's still that same situation right now, almost, you know, coming on two years since he was, he was drafted. Um, you know, I think we hope we're getting close to finding out, you know, finding out an answer to that question of if he is healthy. Um, cause you know, I think everyone thinks, um, you know, and it's his only further evidence by Bodner's video, um, and just going, you know, seeing him warm up, he's not, not quite generating the same, same crowds as, uh, Steph Curry is, but, uh, you know, if you get down to the Wells Fargo Center a little bit early before Sixers games, about an hour before tip, there's definitely a, you know, a little crowd of people down there hoping to watch some of MB's workout, um, you know, before the game just to get a glimpse of, uh, you know, what what he's looking like, and it's definitely promising. So, uh, you know, if the Sixers know more than the public about MB's health at this point, and, and you know, if he will be able to play that could certainly, uh, you know, factor into decisions going forward about, you know, what they're going to do with, um, you know, Jalil or Nerlens or, you know, all three. Yeah, of course. And, I mean, it's hard not to just look at all of them as physical specimens right now, you know, Um, comparing each one in terms of size, in terms of athleticism, in terms of strength. And, you know, in terms of athletes, you you look at Noel, you look at Embiid, and they're just, you know, on a different echelon than Okafor right now. You know, they're fast, they're long. At, at least Embiid has a whole package where he can shoot and block shots and, you know, has a post presence. Nerlens is kind of developing his post game. You know, I don't think he'll ever have a shot, but... You know, if he's just a guy you can alley-oop the ball up to and give it to the paint when he, when he's open, um, if, that, if, if that's all you can do with Noel offensively, that's fine. 
because really the, the key to this offense in the future, I feel like, is going to be speed, is going to be getting out on the fast break. And when you have a guy like Okafor kind of, you know, jogging up the floor behind the offense, that's going to immediately slow down the offense. If, if you feed the ball into Okafor and it takes him, you know, a good 10 to 15 seconds to kind of make his move to the basket, um, you know, that's going to bog down the offense as well. And, you know, I, I guarantee if you line those three guys up to kind of go through an NBA combine drill together, Embiid and Noel are going to far just kill Okafor in every single measure. So that's kind of how I see them now, just in terms of what they can potentially do in the future, where their fit is in the offense, and that's kind of what it's going to come down to for me when you're kind of deciding between the three. Um, Do you kind of agree with that kind of outlook on, you know, the future there? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think you made some really good points, and it, it kind of touched back to, you know, what I said is my biggest concern about Okafor, and that's fit. Uh, you know, there's there's no question about the talent that he has on the offensive end, uh, you know, that especially at, at the age that he is. Um, you know, there's no debating about that, but, you know, as you mentioned, uh, speed being, you know, a key to the, the Sixers, uh, you know, offense going forward, and it, I think it's just uh, – you know, it's not like a key to the league in general today. Um, and more so than just foot speed is what you said, uh, you know, the uh, the speed of the offense and how quickly the ball moves. And, uh, you know, so much of Okafor's ability to score comes from exactly what you said, uh, kind of going one-on-one with a guy, taking a few seconds to size him up, back him down, take him off the dribble, give him, a, you know, a move which, uh, you know, eats up the clock. And in today's NBA, uh, you know, you watch the best teams in the league, the Warriors, the Spurs, uh, the ball just doesn't stick. It's constantly moving. You know, they they don't have a guy that's getting the ball in the post and eating up five, six, seven seconds of the clock. It's, uh, you know, base catch and shoot. That's what, you know, that's what makes them so extremely effective. The ball is just constantly moving. And, you know, every player basically is a threat to score from where they receive the ball on the court or to or to make a play with it. And, uh, you know, I think that's the trend. That's kind of like the model that a lot of teams are trying to copy. The Spurs, you know, kind of started it. And then the Warriors just, you know, have taken it to a whole new level um, over the past couple of years with the, you know, the personnel that they've been able to, you know, acquire in that, that organization. But, um, yeah, so I, I do agree with you that, you know, I'm not totally, you know, giving up on the, the potential, the prospect of building and having Jaleel fit into a team like that. But, you know, there's, definitely difficulty present you know when when considering uh you know that factor moving forward and I think that's something that they you know will be strongly considered when deciding uh you know which which of these guys are potential to stay around and which ones should be looked to move um you know that's just that's it I think that will be a huge part of it basically just fit going forward um so yeah I, I would think I would agree there's a big story about Joel Embiid today, um, just kind of talking about his his Qatar trip and, you know, everything that happened over there and, you know, what they do over there. And one of the big quotes that I got out of it was actually from Ish Smith where he talked about, you know, coming to the Sixers, he feels like he's going to extend years onto his NBA career just how they kind of whip you into shape here, but also, you know, focus on stretching and and focus on 
you know, kind of the financial aspect of being an, an NBA player as well as tips that maybe other teams don't really give to their players. You know, I, I thought that that was, you know, interesting, um, especially with how uh, how many teams Ish has been on in his young career and um, how they've kind of taken a chance on him now twice, you know, in, in the past couple of years here. But, um, you know, what do you think of just kind of the culture that they built here? Do you think that Joel Embiid, you know, the way they've treated him, will that only, you know, help his career in the long run? Yeah, you know, I, I think it has to, and I think uh, it, it's nice I was able to, you know, read that, that story that you uh, referenced earlier today. Uh, I think it's good that that uh, aspect of the organization is getting some recognition, um, and, and the players like Ish, who is, a, you know, he's a respected veteran, as you said, said he's been on a few teams at this point. Um, you know, it's good for just the league and, you know, the landscape in general to hear those aspects about the Sixers because there's so much, you know, negativity. Basically, anytime they're mentioned in national media, it's just is associated with losing and, you know, being the worst team in the NBA, bad basketball and, you know, et cetera. But behind all that, you know, there has been a lot going on between, uh, you know, the new practice facility that's been negotiated and that's being, uh, you know, constructed in Camden. And, uh, you know, Hinky since he, he took over, has been, um, you know, very – Obviously, he has, uh, you know, known for his analytics and all that, but he's into, you know, health and being on the cutting edge of, uh, you know, player nutrition and fitness and all of that. And, uh, you know, the Sixers, as as a result, the Sixers have been on the cutting edge of, you know, that technology in sports and in the NBA. And I think that's, uh, you know, going forward, obviously, they need to get talent in to improve. But I think once, uh, you know, once it gets out and, you know, once these players start to, you know, mature and, other players realize how they're treated by the organization, which, uh, you know, from everything that I've seen in, with myself and, you know, things that we've read, it, it does really does seem that, you know, they treat the players very well, whether it be Nerland's his first year or, you know, Joel over the past two, um, they've dealt with a, you know, a plethora of injury issues over the past couple of years. And there's, you know, nothing but positive, uh, you know, where words have come out from players. So I, I do think that it's, uh, you know, it's a good sign that some of this is starting to come together. Uh, you know, the the practice facility will be opening up at the same time, uh, you know, next year after hopefully more assets are in place and free agency has occurred and there's cap space. And, you know, I think a lot of this, you know, it's been dark and rough times for Sixers fans over the past few years. Um, not to say that it's coming to an end, but I definitely think that it's kind of coming you know, starting to come full circle to a point where a lot of these things are coinciding and starting to come together after, you know, kind of a few years of groundwork where, you know, all, a lot of that stuff mentioned in the uh, in that ESPN article today were put in place, you know, over the course of the past few years since uh, Sam took over the team. And I think, uh, you know, it's continuing to develop as, as a process, but I think the Sixers are definitely uh, – you know, uh, at the cutting edge and the, you know, kind of the lead of it as far as the uh, the NBA community. And I think uh, players are continuing more and more to learn the importance of, you know, just general nutrition and things, uh, you know, taking care of your body, sleeping, eating right, um, 
you know, everything, drinking mango juice, like uh, they said now the Sixers, <laughs> he's squeezed Joel, his, his own mangoes now right on, on the premises to get his vitamin C. Because I don't know how he doesn't like orange juice. I'm actually drinking some right now. But, you know, just small <laughs> things like that, that, uh, you know, I think will make a difference as the team, you know, it hasn't necessarily reflected on the court yet as the team's kind of been building all this together. But I think it's something that, you know, really can start to make a difference going forward now as the team looks to, you know, attract players and start to try to, you know, climb back into contention. Hey, man, they're, they're healthier than Shirley Temple's, so... Um, at least that's moving in the right direction too. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard not to, you know, being in Philadelphia, being a Philadelphia fan my whole life, it's hard not to look at what the Eagles have been doing lately, you know, specifically Howie Roseman, um, to not think back to when this process all kind of started here, you know, Hinky came in, got rid of, you know, the old regime, you know, got rid of the players that, we're kind of mainstays for, for a few years there. And, you know, at this point he acquired those draft picks in return and obviously freed up some cap space. And obviously the NFL is a different league and, you know, teams usually don't just tank for picks, but it seems like Roseman has, you know, kind of set the team up to at least compete in 2016, you know, if not maybe even sneak into a low playoff seating. So now when you look back on what Sam did to acquire the picks and free up cap room and just kind of sit on it, is there any part of you um, when you turn on the TV these days to watch watch the Sixers play um, that kind of wishes that Sam had maybe gone out and got maybe a mid-level free agent uh, earlier that could kind of make this team at least compete at this point? I mean, I know that there's no rush and, you know, that – you're trying to kind of sign these championship caliber players with that money, but what if, you know, they don't come, those championship caliber players, and you just pass up on, you know, solid pieces to the team's core um, for two straight off seasons instead of really spending that money? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely tough, especially considering, you know, the current encore product, if it was, you know, a little more promising. It'd be a lot easier to be like, oh, no, you know, everything's fine. Uh, you know, I, I think the biggest issue more has really been luck. Uh, you know, it's something you, you touched on earlier. I think that luck has been one of the biggest things to plague Sam. You know, I think if, if things had shaken out differently and, you know, I don't know if, you know, maybe if they had ended up with Andrew Wiggins and D'Angelo Russell and there was Noel and that was our the core going forward and we had the picks in the draft, like, I, I think things would – probably be looked at uh, internally and nationally slightly differently. Uh, you know, I do think you, you have to build through the draft. It's really hard to, you know, get build it through free agency. Uh, you know, the Heat did it. And, you know, you look at – I cover uh, the Hornets for, uh, you know, ESPN True Hoop, Queen City Hoops, and, you know, therefore I watch a lot of Hornets games. And, you know, especially compared to Sixers games this season, they're super exciting. I mean, they've been playing great basketball. You know, they're they're sixth in the East right now. They're competitive. And, you know, Hornets fans are, I I don't want to say delusional, but they're, you know, very, you know, they think the team's great. And it is good. And, you know, they could, (laughs) but, you know, they could compete in the playoffs, maybe win a series, maybe, you know, even win two if they keep playing well. 
but like in the end, are they really as constructed now? Are they good enough to win a title? I mean, probably not. And they're a perfect example of like the opposite of what the Sixers have done. The Hornets, you know, instead of just accepting the team that they were, you know, two years ago when they were, you know, the Bobcats were the, that terrible team coming off the lockout and building back up before they turned into the Hornets. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan didn't want to embrace that, uh, you know, that losing uh, culture for the team at all, which, you know, obviously kind of makes sense for Michael Jordan, a guy, uh, you know, so associated with winning and greatness. It's, uh, you know, it'd be tough to imagine him doing what Sam Hinkie's doing. They're probably, uh, you know, slightly have, have slightly different philosophies about building a team. But, uh, no, you know, the Hornets are kind of like the opposite of the Sixers in a lot of ways in that they, over the past two years, have, instead of being allowing themselves to, you know, just fall as far as possible in the draft, they've just added a ton of good quality free agents, you know, Nick Batum, uh, Courtney Lee, Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lamb, uh, you know, a lot of good players. But, you know, in the end, this like the end game for that team, it's probably not going to be a championship, whereas, you know, it would have been nice maybe if the Sixers were a little more competitive this year or last year. But, you know, I think in in the end it came down to we were already in Philadelphia for, you know, we had already seen that contention and that being there but not totally finishing for so long that, you know, I think the, the process and the route that Sam took was, you know, it's, that's how it became accepted and justified. And I think definitely the perception of it would be slightly different if, you know, the picks had just fallen differently. The fact that we ended up with, you know, three centers, three year, three years in a row, and, you know, and centers that had injury issues, um, you know, that just really kind of clouded up the whole process and made it, you know, a lot more difficult to judge, uh, you know, from an outside perspective. But, uh, you know, I don't think, I don't like doubt the process at this point. I don't wish it was done differently. I guess, uh, you know, it's just a matter of individual, uh, you know, things that happen throughout the process or, you know, little pieces of luck or decisions along the way. Does any part of you, you know, worry, though, that, you know, maybe these past few summers you had all this cap room, you could have spent the money and you sat on it, does any part of you look back and say maybe we could have gotten at least one player to add to the future since the, you know, the salary cap is going up, they're going to have a ton of money to spend anyway. You know, what, what's the harm in adding, you know, one guy like that to the team? Yeah, I, I do think that might've been a mistake, especially considering, as you just said, the salary cap going up for everyone. So, you know, the Sixers had a a distinct advantage in salary cap space over the past two summers over most of the teams in the league. They could have, uh, you know, definitely outpaid a lot of other teams for, you know, average, like not average, but, you know, mid-level talent. They they definitely could have done that. And there was a few guys over the past couple of years, uh, over the past couple of summers that I think would have, you know, worked well. You know, you have to. There was reports last year that this, that they, um, you know, requested to talk to Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, of course, ended up staying with their respective franchises. And I, you know, I think if it came down to it, if they were somehow receptive to an offer from Philly, I, I do think Sam would have put put money on the table at that point. Um, you know, I'm glad he didn't just go chase anyone, any, you know, throw money at anyone. But I do think they probably sat on their hands for you know, a little while when there was some guys, mainly wing guys, uh, you know, I'm blanking out Mm -hmm. right now. I remember Wesley Matthews hit the market last summer and he's, uh, 
you know, a reasonably young guy, but still a veteran and, and a, you know, a perfect player for today's NBA that I thought could have been a, you know, a great fit. A guy like Chris Middleton, who was a free agent last summer that the Bucks tied up for, uh, you know, what seemed like big money last summer, but in, you know, a year from now is going to seem like a, a bargain considering, uh, you know, the salary cap increase and how well Chris Middleton has been playing. He's a, uh, you know, just a, a good shooter that can space the floor. I, you know, if, uh, in situations like that, I do think they could have been a little bit more active. But, uh, you know, considering the circumstances, I, I'm glad they didn't throw money just, like, to have a contract. But, uh, you know, hopefully going forward there, I think this summer is when I guess we'll see, uh, you know, at least it seems it'll be this is, a, you know, the first summer they'll they'll really be looking to, you know, kind of throw some money out there at some players. You know, there's still 18 games left here. This question's more for the fans. I mean, to sit through some terrible basketball the past, you know, couple months here following the All-Star break, what is there to watch, you know, at this point in the season? Like, is there any kind of, uh, you know, attachment to turning on a game? Is there anything more than just a waste of time at this point? What can you gain from, you know, watching the Sixers at this point in the season? (laughs) <laughs> that that is a great question and it's really been tough to uh you know especially with the the injuries now to Jalil uh you know there's just not much really to to look out of it there's not much to glean you know at times in the past at least over the past couple of years when you know the the outcomes haven't been pretty at least you could look and you know point to development of individual guys or you know, how certain guys are playing together. Like earlier in the season, you could watch to see how Jalil and Nerlens are playing together. Um, you know, but now at this point with the roster, the way it is, and the, you know, I just feel like I think fatigue has set in for the fan base and, you know, the media and even I think the team, it just, you know, it looks like they're, you know, a lot of us are looking ahead to the draft and talking about, you know, the lottery and what the team's going to look like a year from now. And I think the you know, the players are starting to do that too. The season has just been, you know, it's been a tough one. And I, I think it was expected that it was going to be rough, but I don't know if people, you know, expected it to be quite this rough. As, as you said, well, it'll be the, uh, you know, the lowest win total of the three seasons since Hinky took over. Definitely, the, you know, like a stall in the in the developmental process, it seems like. So, you know, other than the, the same things that we've been able to look for over throughout the course of the season, you know, watching Nerlens continue to, you know, develop on both ends of the ball, especially offensively. Um, you know, Jeremy Grant has been kind of a, a bright spot, but he's still inconsistent. Um, you know, watching him play and see where maybe where where he will fit with the team going forward. Um, you know, last night against the the Rockets, he started at the four spot next to Nerlens at the five which was kind of a new look. So that was, you know, a little something interesting. So, uh, you know, mainly just the guys that you think have a shot with the team going forward. There's a handful of them, you know, a lot of the guys on the roster, you know, probably won't be there going, you know, going forward. So mainly just watching the development of of the guys currently on the roster would be really the only watching points for me. It gets especially tough right around now too, because there's so much other, you know, good basketball being played with the playoff, uh, you know, the playoff chase on and the playoffs approaching, the Warriors playing, you know, just out of this world, the Spurs, you know, the Thunder. There's just a, a lot of great basketball being played. So, you know, to, to devote a lot of time to watching the Sixers consistently at, at this point in the season, especially when, you know, their first pick of the is, you know, on the shelf for an undisclosed amount of time now. Again, 
you know, you, you really couldn't blame blame the fans for, you know, not tuning in much until uh, the night that the lottery balls are drawn, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just been brutal uh, for everyone following the team. Like you said, you know, the, the past couple of seasons here, there's been, you know, a little bit of hope towards the end of the year. You kind of see their defensive intensity pick up a little bit and, you know, string together a couple wins, but it, it's just been awful. It's by far the worst basketball that I've seen um, played since probably the start of last season, you know, before they got Robert Covington, things were pretty ugly. But even then, you know, they had some close games against, you know, the Rockets and, um, you know, Tony Roten was always fun to watch, but uh, yeah, now it's just, you know, it, it's brutal. And, you know, if anything, it's interesting to see the front court of Nerlens Noel and Jeremy Grant, um, just to kind of see how they play together for an extended period of time. And, you know, I I still think Jeremy is um, quite an anomaly as a player. You know, you just look at him and he's such a freak athlete, um, you know, in terms of his his athleticism and dunking ability, blocking ability, and you just hope that, you know, he can really develop into, you know, that energy guy off the bench in the future. And I think this is, you know, if there's anyone to watch during this stretch of time, it it would be Jeremy for me. But, uh, yeah, before we leave here today, uh, I just wanted to bring up an interesting topic that one of our listeners uh, brought up the other day to me. Uh, Jason Santino, he asked me, you know, with Ben Simmons and LSU not making the NCAA tournament this season, um, has there ever been a number one pick in the past who didn't make the NCAA tournament? You know, obviously not the high school guys or the European guys pick number one, but has there ever been a college player who didn't make the NCAA tournament um, who then was the number one pick in the draft. And I, I looked down the list. The last time that happened was back in 1978, and it was actually Clay Thompson's dad, Michael Thompson, uh, picked number one huh. in the NBA draft. So, uh, yeah, what what do you think of, you know, just first of all, Ben Simmons' academic issues, uh, which he showed, as well as, you know, not being able to lead his team to the NCAA tournament. First of all, that's a great stat, especially considering, you know, how relevant Clay Thompson is in the uh, the NBA today. That's a pretty a pretty funny coincidence. But uh you know, it's it's kind of tough for me to say. Uh you know, I, I watch college basketball, you know, I've I've watched my fair share of Simmons games, but I'm not, you know, I'm I definitely don't pay as much attention to it as I do the NBA. Uh, you know, with that being said, I always I try not to you know dish out too much judgment on a on a kid based off one season in college. Um, you know, as a 19 year old, you know I could definitely say that you'd probably like to see a little bit more of a, a quote unquote like a killer instinct from him. You know, there's definitely t- you know periods of time during the games that at least I was able to watch where not that he would disappear from the floor, but, you know, multiple possessions would go by where he wouldn't necessarily attack or really look to create for himself. And, you know, you would think a player of 
you know, his ability and, you know, especially in comparison to the other players on the floor would look to be, you know, just taking advantage at all, uh, you know, at all opportunities. And I didn't necessarily see that, but, you know, with that being said, he's 19 years old and that's something that could certainly be developed. Um, you know, it's definitely going to be interesting down the line when he's not playing in the tournament and other players' stock is rising. And, uh, you know, there's probably going to be inevitable, you know, conversations about is he still the, uh, you know, the favorite number one lock or there'll be, uh, you know, other players that will be mentioned up there. Uh, You know, his fit with the Sixers still isn't, you know, I'm I'm not completely sold on it just based off who they already have. But at the same time, they're obviously not still at the point that they're not drafting for fit. They're just drafting for talent. So, uh you know, I think more than anything, it'll just be rough. It would have been nice to see not not so much that he wasn't able to lead them to the tournament, um, but more so it would have just been nice to see how he played in the, you know, uh, in the tournament, which is obviously the, uh, you know, the highest pressure and the most watched part of the college basketball season. And, you know, that's where you'd like to think that the nation's best players really step it up and play the best. Uh, you know, when the pressure's on. So it would have been nice to see how he performs in a situation like that, if, you know, any, if not for any other reason, just to get an idea of, you know, how he performs under pressure. But, you know, I, I wouldn't judge, you know, judge him too much based off the fact that his team didn't make it to the tournament. But, uh, you know, I think you honestly follow college basketball a little bit more closely than I do. So uh, I'd be curious to hear what do you think about that, about him and, you know, his season overall? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't put too much weight into it. Um, obviously, he never really panned out in the NBA. Um, but another case that, uh, you know, he wasn't really surrounded by by great players during his time in college was Anthony Bennett and, um, you know, UNLV. And, you know, I, I think they lost in, like, the second round or something like that. But, um, yeah, I, I mean – I think you can make the case that Ben Simmons just really didn't have the talent necessary to make it to the tournament. And, you know, one guy, no matter how good you are, um, sometimes you just can't do it all. And, you know, even though Ben Simmons' stats have proved to show that he can do it all, um, you know, there's only a a certain amount that you can do. Um, Like like you said, uh, the main issue for me and Simmons is the fit with the Sixers in the future, you know, with an already crowded front court, we're probably going to have to trade one of those members, uh, you know, coming up here pretty soon. So it doesn't really make sense to, to bring an athlete, you know, like him on who his natural position is power forward. So what are you going to move into small forward when he, when he can't shoot? Uh, you know, that's my main issue with uh, Ben Simmons and, I think uh, the a- academic issues aren't aren't great either, but you know I'm not going to knock a kid at this point. Um, there's still time to grow here. If anything, you know it'll just put more of my focus on Duke and Brandon Ingram, who you are going to get a chance to see in the tournament. And um, you know he had maybe his best game of the year the other day against NC State, where he hit his first five three pointers of the game. Uh, finished with 22 points, seven rebounds, four assists, and uh, they lost today to Notre Dame. But, you know, he still put up 16 points, three threes, seven rebounds. Um, Just kind of 
showing how good he's gotten as the year has progressed. And uh, that will definitely be exciting to watch him and Duke in the tournament on the main stage and really, you know, getting a closer look at how he handles pressure um, because, you know, coming to the Sixers, if he does end up coming here, that's definitely going to be a pressure situation because the fans are kind of going to look at him as the face of the franchise. You know, obviously you got to put Embiid as maybe like a a 1B to that, but the way things are shaping out to be, it seems like whoever they take in the upcoming draft is, you know, going to be that face. Um, but, yeah, yeah, what do you think of, you know, the chance at getting to see Ingram at least in the, the tournament? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. You know, the more that the season has gone on, the more I've, uh, you know, grown to like him uh, as a player in general, especially, again, you know, when we're talking about fit uh, with, you know, regarding potential fit with the Sixers. He uh, has a supernatural stroke, uh, you know, it's real pretty. Uh, He can spread the floor, and he, he has a build that looks like, you know, he's skinny, you know, lanky now, but he just has the build. He looks like a prototypical, like a, a wing player. He could add 10, 15 pounds to that frame without losing the athleticism, which would just, you know, give him the bulk needed to be able to, you know, attack the rim and get into the paint in the league. And, uh, you know, com- he has the athleticism certainly and combined with the, you know, the natural shot. He just, you know, he definitely looks like a, a guy that could be dangerous. He reminds me a tiny bit of, college Kevin Durant uh you know I'm being obviously generous Durant was uh, a better scorer (laughs) better scorer and uh you know obviously bigger but just in the way that he scores you know based off he's spreading the floor and putting the ball on the ground he uh you know I I like the way he plays a lot and uh you know at this point I don't know if they had the first pick I'm assuming they Simmons would probably still be the target but I don't think as a as a Sixers fan you could be too upset with uh you know, either one of those guys coming to the team next year, uh, you know, it would just be if the luck isn't on our side again and we get that number three spot in the draft again, (laughs) you know, that's when the questions would come up. Well, once again, this was the 76ers report. I'm your host, Seth McClendon, alongside Michael Kasky-Blomain. Go out and follow us on the app stitcher, and, you know, we hope that – these games against the Nets here coming up bring at least one win for, for everyone's sake. But uh, thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with another show here. Until next time. Back in 1982, man, it was real cool in the school if we got good grades. I trade up A's, the panels were taken to a 76 game. I got my game in the ain't no shame. Big shots from Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone. Julius Thurber called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' Freeze. Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly. But if you want to make it on time to the show, there's only one road that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95. Want to get downtown but fit in the Get on that road, they call 676 The most expensive, expensive piece of business They've ever made the fellas ain't paid with what they got your game Get along, getting on 76ers Travel by me, this very bird Get along, 76ers Travel by me, this very bird